Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 188 as we come to what I believe to be the mm, maybe anti-penultimate uh, uh, discussion uh, session that we're going to have in the Council of Elrond. I don't know what uh, we are going to do with ourselves when we finish the Council. It's going to be so weird to be discussing a different chapter. Um, but... Um, yeah, yeah, three slides le left, Mad Violinist. So um, it's okay, but don't worry, I have a plan. Um, uh, I, I, I come equipped with a delaying tactic tonight. Um, but anyway, um, just a quick reminder tonight, uh, a, a quick Myth Moot reminder. I saw folks talking about Myth Moot uh, there on Discord before the session began. And um, so I just wanted to remind folks, uh, go to signumuniversity.org slash MythMoot, uh, and you can find all the information on MythMoot, uh, including registration information and schedule information and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we, are, um, uh, we are excited uh, for MythMoot to come. I'm uh, making travel plans and uh, uh, really uh, uh, just so much looking forward uh, to seeing folks again. Uh, so, um, but now let us get into my, here's my plan. My, and my plan is to, uh, uh, go backwards, uh, to prevent moving forwards too rashly. Um, first, a little piece of commentary. I noticed recently that somebody was observing, uh, that I didn't do as many questions, uh, from the discussion board, uh, recently as I used to do. There's a reason why, um, there's a reason why that's true. Uh, and the reason why that's true uh, is that so lately you guys have been engaging in these long and really interesting threads um, on the questions for Narnian section. Um, and originally that was not the purpose of that board. I feel bad. I don't want to discourage anyone because you guys are having really interesting discussions and I like to see interesting discussions, but it's very hard for me to wade through them and make slides out of them um, because I can't really do justice to the full conversation. And, um, uh, and I feel churlish like responding to the original question as if the whole rest of the conversation hadn't happened, not to mention the fact uh, that um, it takes me forever. Like, I don't even often have time to read through all of the uh, comments on all of the uh, on all the sections. So originally, the idea for the questions for Narnian uh, section uh, in the discussion board was like just questions so that it would be easier for me to go through and pull out questions to talk about here in class. So that's been a little bit harder lately. Um, but like I said, I don't you know, really want to discourage folks because it's been, they've been really good discussions. So it's kind of, you know, um, I don't know. <laughs> it kind of is what it is. Uh, so, but, um, uh, there's, um, uh, here's one question that I did want to respond to that, uh, Rachel was asking, um, and Rachel, this is kind of, uh, I'm going to pull a twofer here um, uh, and uh, quote this question and respond to respond to your other one. Um, 
Uh, so in the discussion of Bilbo's motivations for offering to take the ring to the fire, I couldn't help thinking uh, about an earlier scene. When Frodo wakes up the morning of the council more than a year ago, he finds Gandalf and Bilbo talking together. I imagine in that conversation, Bilbo tells Gandalf about his experience the night before and what he has finally realized about the ring and its effect on him after seeing it in Frodo's face. Gandalf may or may not have witnessed that dangerous moment, that is, in the Hall of Fire, I assume, and also witnessed Bilbo's defeat using the situation, so he may have introduced the subject in some way, or Bilbo might have brought up that final scene at Bag End and his new understanding, and perhaps a little accusation in a question of what Gandalf knew about the ring at that time, but I think there was probably a better understanding of and affection for one another, and a shared concern for Frodo when Frodo appears. I would love to have heard that conversation. I think that that's, uh, I think that that's a really... Um, wonderful observation, Rachel. Uh, and it had been so long uh, that I was forgetting, though I sh- we should have brought up, which is why I was happy to uh, raise your question here today. You're absolutely right uh, that we should be recalling in this in the exchange between Bilbo and Gandalf that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. We should be recalling that that is how the chapter began, right? The ch- well, the chapter begins with Frodo waking up uh, on his own, um, but when he comes out, he does meet. Uh, Bilbo and Gandalf talking to each other. Um, and I agree. Of course, we have no way of knowing for sure what they were talking about, but it um, uh, it would certainly be interesting. It would be interesting to know, and it would certainly make sense if they were discussing that a little bit more. I would think in particular that Bilbo would be the one particularly motivated to talk to Gandalf more because when he says, I think I understand, you know, I understand things a little better now. I think that one of the things most likely on his list of things that he understands better um, after his experience in the Hall of Fire is why Gandalf has treated him the way that he has. Right. The why Gandalf uh, had, uh, you know, he, he at least was sort of feigning like he didn't understand why, um, you know, remember this comments like odd sort of remark, just like Gandalf. Remember that when he was talking to Frodo uh, the night before and, uh, you know, to some extent, I think on some on some level, Bilbo might be kind of playing a little bit dumb there. Like, I don't think that he is genuinely like, I have no idea what that wizard was on about. Like, I really doubt that he was quite so clueless as he kind of made it. I think he's trying to pass it off a little bit. Um uh, and kind of downplay it in his tone there uh, when he was when he was relaying it, and yet nevertheless, it seems unquestionably true that he did not really understand um, what Gandalf was about uh, and why Gandalf was acting that way. So I would definitely, um, I would definitely wonder. Um, I would definitely suspect. I, I should say that that might have been the conversation that Bilbo started with Gandalf that morning. Um, That, you know, his conversation with Gandalf might have started something like, I understand things a bit better now, right? Um, And that seems to me very, um, that seems to me very likely, very likely. Um, But um, uh, a couple things, though. Rachel, this is where I want to do the twofer and address your other uh, question too. Um, you were sort of wanting to, def- I don't know, defend exactly, um, but you didn't, you were objecting to the idea or at least resistant to the idea that Gandalf was being careful with Bilbo in how he was responding to Bilbo's offer. Um, not being sure how Bilbo was going to respond. 
uh, and that um, um, you saw mostly affection and, and tenderness on Gandalf's part. Now, I wholly agree about the affection and tenderness, 100%. And, and certainly, I, you know, was not communicating clearly if I suggested that he was not being affectionate, wholeheartedly affectionate um, uh, towards Bilbo throughout that entire paragraph. Um, but I'm willing to defend cautious, and I don't think that that conversation prevents that or makes it unlikely, even. Um, first of all, remember that Bilbo's own actions and words earlier on, right? Like what um, Gandalf's own experience of Bilbo's, of dealing with Bilbo, of Bilbo's dealing with this earlier on when he was going to give up the ring, right? You know, remember Bilbo's like, I can't seem to make up my mind. That being divided in mind, feeling one way at one point with part of his mind and another way with another part of his mind, that was the pattern before, right? So does Bilbo understand it more clearly? Does Bilbo, you know, it, do they have perhaps that morning um, a conversation in which Bilbo shares with Gandalf his new insight into the hold that the ring had over him and, um, and uh, his new appreciation for Gandalf's tact, Gandalf's tact uh, and his undertakings? You know, that, um, uh, that all seems... Um, very possible. I'm perfectly willing to believe all of those things. But I don't think that that means that Gandalf's not going to be cautious with Bilbo. Um, is there, does he suspect, does he think that there might be an element of Bilbo, of, you know, of ring temptation in Bilbo when he makes this offer? Yeah, I, I, I do. I still do think that he is uncertain and concerned about that. And what's more, I think he's right to be concerned. I don't think that Bilbo is as wholehearted as all that. I really don't. I think that Bilbo is still struggling. Um, I think uh, I think Bilbo is going to be struggling for the whole rest of his life. Bilbo has given up the ring. Bilbo has triumphed. Like, I'm not trying to take a thing away from Bilbo. Not one thing. Um, but nobody has ever studied the after effects of giving up the ring. Nobody knows. Um, in fact, wouldn't it fit with Gandalf's affection for Bilbo not er, to want to not put Bilbo in the position of having to do the same heroic thing again and again and again? Right? Um, because that's very well what it might be. I don't believe that Bilbo... Um, Bilbo gave up the ring at Bag End. And it was heroic. He needed Gandalf's help, but it, that was a heroic act. Bilbo gave up the ring again the night before in the Hall of Fire. That, too, was a heroic act. Bilbo, Bilbo's laughter, as I was suggesting last time, is an important turning point, I think. And I think he's, he, he's done it again. Right? I think that Bilbo has, like, once again, a third time, at least three, triumphed over the desire of the ring. In all honesty, I think it might have been more often than that. I bet you that Bilbo was having some desires and rationalizations while he was sitting by Frodo's bedside as well. I bet you, right? I mean, I, 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 I'd, I'd bet, I'd bet good odds on that actually. Um, so, Bilbo, you know, and yes, like, is he succeeding? Is Bilbo triumphing? Is Bilbo showing himself uh, to be a hero? And to, to be triumphing again and again? Yes, exactly. But it's exactly um, 
Gandalf's affection for Bilbo, which is going to make him cautious, right? Not take that for granted, not, um, uh, you know, kind of breeze lightly past it. I mean, I think that there's, right, as Lissa Linda says, once addicted to a thing, always addicted to a thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that's... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I do think that that's something that is um, a very relevant um, analogy. And JJ, just as you say, I mean, you meet very few recovered alcoholics who are casual social drinkers thereafter, successfully, right? Without falling off the wagon again. Um, I mean, this, that's not usually the pattern of overcoming addiction. Um, and I think that Gandalf is not only too wise, but too kind uh, to ask Bilbo to do that, basically. And, of course, what he's... What he would be asking, I mean, if he were actually sending Bilbo on the quest or something, it would be even worse, right? But, um, uh, yeah, Bjorning in Exile, I agree. It's not just affection and tenderness, but also sympathy. Um, yeah, yeah, he, he, he knows. Nobody knows better than Gandalf, who had to, like, help him, who was right there engaging his will with Bilbo's will to assist him in resisting um, the pull of the ring back in back end nobody knows better than gandalf what it cost bilbo you know what it what it what it means for him you know in, in seeing his um his response right his reaction upon you know the the kind of the rebound right once he did uh you know his kind of spiritual rebound once he did give the uh, the ring uh, up again um i think um yeah I, I think there's really a lot um a lot there um yeah, and Matt, I, I'd have to agree. Um, I think the, you know, he says, I think the biggest reason for Gandalf to be cautious is that Bilbo's the only one ever to walk away from the One Ring, and the chances of his doing so twice is uncertain to say the, to say the best. That Bilbo does seem to step away a second time here is unfathomable. Agreed. Even three times, right, if you want to count it all. But again, like, that doesn't mean, like, oh, well, like he's had so much practice, right? I mean, again, like, do you say to an, a successful you know, an, an alcoholic, a former alcoholic who is successfully walking in, sobri in sobriety, right? Well, look, you've been doing such a great job, um, you know, not falling back uh, into alcoholism over these last few years that, um, you know, now, like, I'm going to give you a job as a bartender or whatever. Like, that's no, like that reasoning does not really hold. That's not kind. Uh, that's not uh, uh, thoughtful or wise or affectionate. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I, 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 I do think, yeah, Bjorning and Exile, I agree. You know, there is a way in which it's one of the things that I've been really taking from this these past few weeks. Um, I have come away not only with a great appreciation um, for the the thoughtfulness and the compassion and empathy and tact of Gandalf's um, words there, um, but with great admiration uh, for Bilbo. Um, I think in a lot of ways, I think in a lot of ways, I, um, reading the chapter at speed, you know, reading this chapter at 1x instead of, you know, point 
001x like we've been doing uh, uh so to use audiobook terminology um but reading the chapter at 1x i find that um um i've tended in the past i think to basically get kind of taken in by bilbo's joke like you know bilbo couches um his you know his offer his comments you know the, he he sort of submerges the heroism of what he's doing on multiple the heroism on multiple levels of what he's doing there um under a joke right under hobbitry uh and of course his hobbitry there is so delightful um both the first time right you know in in the the kind of um, hobbitish dark humor of you know uh, 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 must uh, you know must end it or himself, um, but even more so with his crack at Gandalf, you know about um, good advice and bad advice, right? Um, I've always so loved Bilbo's hobbitry in that moment, um, and even in part because I have always you know for so many years shared Glowin's smile of affection. Right. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, from old memories of Bilbo. So I've always my, my response has always been so wrapped up in those things that um, I've never fully, I think, followed Gandalf's lead um, to listen carefully to what Bilbo was saying under jest uh, and therefore what Gandalf himself uh, was saying. So, um uh, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rachel, no, I, 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 I hear you that um, you were talking about, about what Gandalf might be expecting in response. Maybe expecting, Rachel, is not the right word there. I don't think that Gandalf is, like, anticipating, like, expecting in the sense that he believes it overwhelmingly probable that Bilbo's going to freak out, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Um, fearing? Uh, dreading lest he might, concerned lest that be... I mean, I don't think Gandalf can possibly be blithely confident, no matter what they talked about that morning, no matter what insight Bilbo has seen, it's not going to make him immune uh, to temptation. It's not going to mean that that other part of his mind is going to not be there and not be active. Um, uh, so, like, I, 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 because I do think... Bilbo succeeds again, like he triumphs again in that moment, especially in that moment of laughter when he responds to Gandalf with laughter. Um, he's triumphed again, and Gandalf has too much affection and too much empathy for him to merely assume that that's going to happen. Um, the other thing, Rachel, that I would say in particular about that moment, um, uh, the, 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 that moment of caution, at least that I'm arguing is caution, is the syntax thing. Um, Gandalf does um, sometimes speak with great affection. But even when he speaks with great affection, it doesn't screw up his syntax. Gandalf doesn't stumble over his sentence. It just doesn't happen very often, right? Those two sentence fragments in a row where Gandalf is really, is interrupting himself, right? I mean, he's not even, he's not in that moment able to maintain a smooth flow of dialogue, right? He himself is like saying two things at once there, right? Stumbling over himself in his um, uh, attempt to kind of reassure Bilbo in multiple directions at the same time, right? And again, and I don't just hear affection. I don't, it's 
theoretically possible that one could hear this as Gandalf feeling so affectionate towards Bilbo that he's getting like choked up and therefore his sentences are being are being kind of messed up for that reason. But again, I don't I don't hear that. Um, I It doesn't sound um, it doesn't sound that that just doesn't sound like that fits the tone um, of uh, of what Gandalf is doing there. It sounds instead like he's reaching for reasons, reaching for ways to soften what he's going to say, which is it is passed on, right? Um, that he's reluctant to actually just utter the independent clause um, that he is building up to, right? And so he's throwing other things in. And that sounds like uncertainty. That sounds like uh, uh, a, a certain degree of anxiety um, about Bilbo's reaction. And I agree with Mike that um, uh, it makes Bilbo more heroic if there is another struggle. Like if um, it does not, in my opinion, it doesn't lessen Bilbo at all or Gandalf's opinion of Bilbo. Um, to For Gandalf to be empathetic to the potential additional further or renewed struggle that Bilbo is likely to be going through in that time. Um, it, it could be possible to say like, well, you know, Bilbo's already aced his test at least twice prior to this. And he and Gandalf talked about it that morning and Gandalf knows that he's aced the tests and everything. So there's nothing to worry about with Bilbo and there's no reason for Gandalf to be uncertain. Um, I, one can say that, but again, I, in my mind, that doesn't increase sort of Bilbo's status. Um, I think it's, it's the more increased, uh, to, and Gandalf's own sensitivity to and affection for Bilbo and compassion for Bilbo, um, is also greatly increased by that sort of additional, um, additional layer of sort of sensitivity and awareness, um, that yeah, yeah, he has resisted before and here he's doing it again because he's got to do it again. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, okay. Anyway, so that, thanks, Rachel, for bringing that up. Um, I'm happy to go back uh, there again. But here we are, up to the big line, up to what I think is the client. This is the, this is the, this is the center of the whole thing, right? Not the center. Um, this is the the culmination, right? The entire, um, you know, my, uh, title for the session tonight was that's what this council business was all about. Really. Um, paraphrasing, of course, Bilbo's quote about the party back in chapter one. Um, uh, I believe that the entire council of Elrond, I think that they threw the council of Elrond, like they, 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 they put on the council of Elrond, like Elrond held a council, Right. For this moment, um, in order to lead up to Frodo's uttering that sentence. Um, I think that was the point of the entire council was for Frodo to utter that sentence. Um, anyway, here we go. No one answered. The noon bell rang. Still no one spoke. Frodo glanced at all the faces, but they were not turned to him. All the council sat with downcast eyes, as if in deep thought. A great dread fell on him, as if he was awaiting the pronouncement of some doom that he had long foreseen and vainly hoped might after all never be spoken. 
An overwhelming longing to rest and remain at peace by Bilbo's side in Rivendell filled all his heart. At last, with an effort, he spoke, and wondered to hear his own words, as if some other will was using his small voice. I will take the ring, he said, though I do not know the way. Okay. Um... Yeah, Silk Waskett, I do believe. Um, I do believe that Noon Bell is hyphenated because it's a it's a particular bell. Like the, you know, it's not just a bell that rings and they're like, oh, was that? Oh yeah, it's noon, right? And, you know, that's not what's happening here. Like it's, the Noon Bell would sound different. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I don't usually choke up myself at that last sentence, though. I understand why many do. Um, it's just not, not usually what makes me cry. Eucatastrophe is what makes me cry. Oh man. Like wait till we get to the passage that makes me cry every single time I read the Lord of the Rings. Um, Aragorn arriving at the Harland is what makes me cry every time. I'm starting to cry just thinking about it. Better stop. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, anyway, I, so, and can I, right, Flamifer, I agree. I'm always surprised by the fact of the noon bell also. Like, seriously, it's only noon? Bilbo didn't actually miss a meal? Um, he, he he's just was worried that he might? Um, I totally thought it must be like sunset already, right? Um, uh, <laughs> right, he missed second breakfast. Yeah, truly, truly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, right, JJ's wondering, perhaps uh, <laughs> did, did, they rig, did they rig the noon bell to be, to be rung later on, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. Um, uh, <laughs> okay. You're right. Yeah. Several people corrected me that, of course, if uh, he's going straight from first breakfast to, lunch, to breakfast to lunch, Bilbo has missed several meals, right? Even if nobody else did. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no one answered. Remember, do you remember what no one is answering? Um, can't we right uh, pick some names or put it off till after dinner right who are they to be mad violinist exactly exactly um, yeah yeah um, yes yes it's true that a reading of the whole council takes about two hours but remember Elrond's story is summarized in a couple sentences. And in those sentences, we are told uh, that he speaks for hours. Um, uh, you know, that like the sun has moved a significant quantity while Elrond speaks. Um, not to mention there's another part of the council that is also slid over at the very beginning. Right. When we're, we're told that like tales of various kinds are, are, are discussed at that point. Um, so there's at least two sections in addition to the actual dialogue that we're given uh, that are definitely included. Um, right. Good. Yeah. Bilbo and Frodo stories as well. Kurtzimus. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, 
chapter five of The Hobbit is, um, if you don't omit a single riddle, is quite a long read itself, uh, about an hour or so, um, at least. So, uh, yeah, exactly. And Frodo not only recounts his story, but also answers questions, is interrupted frequently, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and the squirrels, Nancy, absolutely. This is not even to mention the squirrels. Uh, so, so yeah, no, it's, um, uh, it's, we don't know exactly when they started, but, um, it's, um, it's, it's, it could have been early. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. Um, Frodo glanced at all the faces, but they were not turned to him. All the council sat with downcast eyes as if in deep thought. Let's pause there for a second. What do we think they're thinking? The rest of the council. What do they think they're thinking? Um, right, not me. Yeah, I, 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 some of them. Some of them very well might be thinking that, right? Um, possibly they're examining themselves to see if they should go. That does seem possible. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, not it is not it is possible, except Argent suggests Boromir might be thinking, maybe me, right? Um, right, yeah, Ashnaz was thinking the same thing. Is Boromir trying to think of a way tactfully to volunteer? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Admiral Malcontent, it is possible that they're shamed here. Um, it is... I think that that is possible, right? That they don't want to volunteer, and um, I agree about the downcast eyes, right? They're not just, like, in puzzled expressions, or as if in deep thought, right? Are they, are they contemplating who would be... Um, who would be wise to send, right? You know, I mean, who would be, what would be the most, the best counsel here? Are they trying to read what might sound almost like a riddle that Elrond has set them about strength and wisdom, right? Um, and small hands doing them because they must. Um, you know, I mean, is Gorfindel sitting there saying, well, I was going to volunteer, but um, if I'm picking up what he's putting down, Elrond thinks I shouldn't go, right? Like Elrond thinks it would be bad if I went, right? Um, so, um, yeah, exactly, Nancy. I don't think Gorfindel's afraid, but is he, you know, basically saying like, okay, I'm, I don't know and can't see what Elrond is getting at here exactly. Um, did they all do they all suspect that it must be Frodo, Tim? That, I wonder that. I do. Frodo wonders that, right? Um, he's glancing around, but they're not turned to him. Frodo's glance is very telling, right? He is feeling as if he is feeling as if they must all be thinking about him. They must all be looking at him, right? Um, and I think 
in my opinion, um, in my opinion, yeah, I likely about I agree. I think that that's a question that they might well be thinking. Who would be wise enough to resist the ring? Could anyone do it? Remember, likely about, uh, I mean, as you're probably thinking, I, I think that was what was in their head earlier on when they started talking about Todd's why Tom Bombadil came up before, right? Hey, Tom Bombadil seems safe with the ring in the sense that he doesn't seem tempted by it. So, um, yeah, maybe him or somebody else like him. But who else is like him, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a big deal, Matt. I agree. The fate of the West hangs on this answer. Um, yes, yes. No one is wanting to speak rashly. But again, Frodo feels like he expects them all to be looking at him. Like, aren't you going to volunteer? Like they're being polite in not volunteering him. Um, now, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, um, I don't know. This is why I wanted to pause on the, all the council sat with downcast eyes. Um, because on the one hand, I don't necessarily believe that everybody in the room actually is looking at Frodo, even if not with their eyes, right? That they're all like sitting there like, come on, Frodo, come on, Frodo. It's obvious it's you, right? But I'm not going to volunteer you, so I'm going to wait it out until the Hobbit finally says what he's supposed to say. I don't really believe I don't really believe that that's what they're thinking. But at the same time, Elrond has dropped a lot of hints. And I suspect that at least some of them are wise enough, right? Not sure about Galdor, but I think that many of the rest of them might be wise enough um, to pick up what he's putting down on that point, right? And to see clearly, yeah, yeah, uh, signs do point to Frodo. Don't they? Right? And <laughs> they're waiting for Kelleborn to arrive. The perfect candidate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's used to not elevating himself? Who is comfortable with being, you know, not the smartest person in the room? You know, who never tries to get above himself? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, And that's a good point, Cook of Wooten Minor. Cook of Wooten Minor points out that um, uh, I think the other thing here is that he's already the ring bearer. Like, Frodo has the ring. Um, he has to give it up before anyone else can take it. Right. No, I I, um, I agree. I agree. Um, that's an interesting point, right? Um, if one of them... See, and this is another thing... There are two things, and again, I don't want anybody to think I'm just dissing on the Peter Jackson adaptation. Um, the Their handling of the Council of Elrond was really powerful, I thought. It worked very well in the film. I really like how it comes across in the film, but there are a bunch of differences, right? And there are a couple really important differences here, right? One, Frodo puts the ring on the table in the middle and then goes back to his seat. Frodo has given up the ring in the film, right? It's just sitting there. So he volunteers to take it up again, right? But the way that that's kind of tossed off 
in the film, right? Like Frodo just like puts it on the table and is like, no big deal, whatever. Like there's the ring, right? Um, that is not how it goes, right? That is, he's showed it to the room, right? But he is still the ring bearer. And we've seen several times already that Frodo's going to have a hard time giving it up, right? He's already in the past had a hard time giving it up. Um, so that would, that's a, that's a huge deal. Musical, the way they do it in the film, it is. It absolutely is. They have the ring set. And again, I love the way it works in the film. I think it like visually, it's, it's, it's very cool. The way that the ring is the focal point of the whole discussion and everything. It's, it's beautiful in the film. But it is a giving up. It is a giving up the ring. Because you're putting it in the center of the room, equidistant from everybody. Everybody has an equal shot at the ring to the extent where, you know, film Gimli tries to hack at it with his axe, which is one of the silliest moments in that scene. Um, but um, um, yes, and it seems an altar of sacrifice, Green Great Dragon. I agree. It is It is almost like that, right? There is there is the moment of Frodo putting it there. This is not like, I'm just going to drop this here, but everybody, this is still mine, right? I mean, no, he's he's he has surrendered it to the council at that point, and the council is all considering it. And then there's this open question of who's going to take it up, right? Until in the end, um, it's um, uh, it's um, you know he takes it up again, right? But anyway, so that's one thing that I that I strongly disagree with about the, or rather, a strong departure, right, from the book uh, in the film. The second thing that I was just thinking of, though, um, and I'll just mention this off the side: I've always really disliked. Um, the facial expression that Gandalf pulls. I hate that. Like, I mean, it's, it's kind of sweet again. It's, it's nice, but it's, it always annoyed me, right? When Frodo volunteers and Gandalf does that thing, like I was afraid that was going to happen. Like, Oh, Frodo, you didn't, did you? I I've always disliked that. That is not Gandalf's relationship with this situation, right? Gandalf knows, Gandalf said so. Gandalf's when Gandalf was looking at him in the last chapter while he was still in bed, that business about like he may become like a you know a, like like a, a clear you know, a clear light shining you know for those who see who can like he he knows Frodo is going to empty himself right that Frodo is going to be um, Frodo is going to sacrifice himself and he Gandalf is going to let him do it. Um. Uh. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um. I. Anyway, I, I've, I just, I like it in that I like the element that in the film that it kind of it shows the personal connection, like his personal compassion for Frodo. Um, but like the idea that Gandalf was like hoping that it wouldn't come to this, right. Hoping that like, maybe it would go to someone else. Like who else is it going to go to? Like it's, it's, um, I dislike trying to build up Gandalf's compassion at the expense of his brains. Um, because it just, it doesn't, doesn't really work. Um, but, um, anyway, anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I'd forgotten that. Matt says, Peter Jackson asked Ian McKellen to play it as if he heard his son volunteering to serve at the front in World War I. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's just the face that it looks like. Um, and that's 
And again, it's like, does Gandalf feel something of that? Maybe. Yeah, I, I'm not denying that he feels a connection to Frodo um, and that he feels compassion for Frodo. But he's not, he was not hoping it wouldn't come to this. He knows. He knows. Um, and not only does he know, um, I think that he, um, he's been contriving at this. Like, this is, this is what, this has been his plan from the beginning. This has been his plan. Um, and, uh, you know, he's been. But. Um, yeah, Gilgonther, exactly. Um, uh, Gandalf knows that it has to come to this and has been working for years to get to this point. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, now, again, like, does he feel compassion for Frodo? Of course he does. Of course he does. And he's expressed that already, right? Um, but again, this point, they still had to get to this point, right? Um, and again, the whole, I really believe, th there's no other reason to even have a council. Um, what comes of this council? Like, what is the council that's, what, what, the council stronger than Morgul spells that's taken? Like, what? Um, I, uh, I don't think Elrond needed the council to make up his mind. Maybe he did. I don't want to overstate that. It's possible, right? Um, that Elrond, I mean, um, you know, we talked about the line where he says, if I understand a right, you know, if I understand now a right, all that I have heard, um, suggesting that he did gain some insight and some certitude from the, what he had heard that day. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, Admiral Malcontent, I think it's a good way to say it, uh, that the council seems to have been uh, for Frodo's benefit. Yeah. He has to... If he doesn't volunteer, this thing will be a disaster. Nobody can name him. Nobody can name him. He can't be drafted. He can't. He can't. He has to volunteer. If he doesn't choose this, it won't work. No way. No way it'll work. Right. And this, of course, helps us to understand why Elrond has been so gentle all the way up through. Right. We must send the ring to the fire. Um, Gandalf's the messengers, plural, who are sent with the ring. Um, uh, you know, there's several times when either one of them could have been more pointed, even if indirect. Right. Um, you know, it could have said, um, you know, uh, you know, Gandalf could have said could have said something like "He who is sent with the ring," right, or "He who will bear the ring," you know, like, you know, pointing, to, <laughs> looking significantly at Frodo. Or whatever. I mean, there are lots of ways in which they could have been more direct, more pointed than they were, but they've left it up until at this moment, um, until at this moment, Frodo is feeling the call. Um, now, I agree. It's not that there's nothing else that happened at the council. I agree that it's a summons of sorts for Aragorn, and that's important. In particular, there's clearly some um, business that's being transacted on a big picture, right? Uh, some sort of prophetic business that's being transacted between Boromir and Aragorn, with the whole seek for the sword that was broken thing, right? Um, Aragorn is going to admit later that he believe we're going to be told later that Aragorn believes that Boromir's 
dream that the 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 Boromir's verse is a summons, right? That he he believes he got some mail during this meeting, right? Um, so Aragorn certainly feels that uh, this is not the only item on the agenda, right? Um, but, um, but not, uh, but I still don't, that's not, I think, central, uh, to the council, uh, nor was the council itself totally necessary. Uh, presumably Elrond would have shared with him the words from Boromir and, uh, Aragorn would have still received them in the same way, even if it hadn't come out in front of the whole council. Right. So, um, but now I'm not, um, I've not been avoiding the questions that you guys are pushing towards here. Um, but I've been, uh, deliberately saving them. Um, I believe from that fourth sentence on Frodo glanced at all the faces, but they were not turned to him. We are already seeing evidence that Frodo is feeling an internal pressure of some kind to volunteer. Right. Um, I take that. Th I don't think it's like fear or paranoia that is leading him to say like they're not thinking, thinking about me, army. Are they? Are they going to volunteer me? Right. I don't think that's what it's in his mind there. Um, I think he is. No one has answered. The noon bell rings, and still no one speaks that no one very significantly including Frodo, right? Um, I think Frodo knows what he is supposed to do. And he's looking around to see if anybody else knows what he's supposed to do as well, right? Um, he is perhaps dreading to see a confirmation in the eyes of others looking towards him. Um, again, I don't think this is fear. I think this is self-awareness in some sense. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have several times in my life felt um, never more sure of what I was supposed to do than when I felt very strongly that I really, really would rather not do it. Um, and I feel that I can relate to what it seems to me Frodo is likely feeling here a great dread falls on him as if he was awaiting the pronouncement of some doom that he had long foreseen and vainly hoped might after all never be spoken. Some doom, some judgment, right? A doom that is spoken is not, of course, a terrible thing happening, right? This is not doom in the much narrower modern sense, right? He's awaiting the pronouncement of a doom, the declaration of a judgment. And what, um, what's the difference between, you know, when the Valar agree in council that something should be done and then Mandos says it, Right? Mandos proclaims it as doomsmen of the Valar. What's the difference in the before and after of Mandos's proclamations of those kind? Right? Um, he, 
he doesn't um the thing is decided beforehand right but when the doomsman pronounces it when a doom is pronounced it is enacted it goes uh right it goes from could be to should be i would even say to is right um even from even perhaps Rayburn's from uh, um, from should be to is right um, good yeah Michael D that's a great way to say it um, Mandos makes the thing the decision effectual it moves from being a desired state to an actual state it becomes a fact yes good good um, oh and I totally agree with you about Saruman's staff admiral but we'll get to that later on um, yes Matt like the by the authority invested in me I now pronounce you man and wife right yes like that it is at that moment right it is true then right when that happens um, exactly um, heir of Numenor as you say uh, in linguistics we call that a performative speech act um, yes yes um, and this is the he's been awaiting the pronouncement of some doom he's foreseen it right he has felt that it was going to happen so th- the reason i think the way that i do about that earlier sentence about him glancing at the faces is because of what is said here right that's the state that i think is being described here um he knows what's supposed to happen he knows he knows he knows that it is his doom to be the ring bearer. Um, Gandalf tried to... Th- remember, you know, Gandalf said, um, um, you were meant to find the ring and that might be a comforting thought. And Frodo says, it is not a comforting thought, right? It's not a comforting thought because you've been, like, ordained by providence to be the carrier of the ring under the circumstances when you've just found out that Sauron with all of the forces of Mordor is pursuing with hatred and desire to attempt to find you, that is not a comforting thought, right? That you should be the one who has been appointed to carry the ring. Gandalf tries to throw him a bone later on in that same conversation when he says, it may be your role, right, uh, to find the cracks of doom. Or that task may be for others, he says. Right. Yeah, tell yourself that, Frodo. Maybe that task will be for others. But I don't think that... um, uh, I don't think that... um, That is much consolation. I don't think even Gandalf really means it at that time. I think that Gandalf also sees. He is trying to help... Frodo, I don't think he's just offering Frodo false hope either. Like, I don't think it's just the case that Gandalf is like, oh no, you're totally hosed, Frodo. I just, I don't want to admit it, right? You know, I'm trying to cheer you up by giving you false hope that maybe it won't be you after all, but I, we, look, we, we both know it's you, right? But I'm just saying this to make you feel better. I don't think that's what Gandalf is doing, right? Um, instead, I think that the message that he is, by saying to Frodo, that quest may be for others, right? Um, I think that what he is saying is, it, it is your choice. It is your choice. Um, he does not want Frodo, even back then, he does not want Frodo to feel trapped, merely trapped. Um, 
like he doesn't have any choice at all. Gandalf carefully leaves an escape hatch open for him back then in Bag End, right? Um, and um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Now, Kukavutan Minor, I am not sure that there is such a big difference between those two things as you are suggesting. You're uh, saying you don't think that the Doomsman holds the power to make what will be be. It's more like a prophecy that a Doomsman is the one who sees clearly the working of other powers and predicts them in prophecy. But again, it's not a prediction. Um, Mandos is not speaking in the future tense. He speaks in the present tense. He does speak in the future tense also, I know. But um, but no, like, as doomsmen, when he makes his decree, they are, he is enacting them. I'm not saying that all of the power rests in him. He, I'm not saying he's like, by the power of me. I say even in the in the wedding ceremony that Matt and I were quoting before, the, you know, the celebrant uh, at the wedding service isn't saying, by my own power, I pronounce you, Mano. He says, by the authority vested in me. Right. And Mandos does the same thing. Um, uh, so it's not about his power to make the thing be. It's not that his power is that over. But what he is doing is declaring the thing that it is. He's not predicting that it might that it will be right. He's not merely perceiving and observing. He is perceiving and observing, but he's perceiving and observing that this is what is. And it is from that point on. Um, uh um, yeah. Um, so as I say, I don't think that there is such a wide gap between the two things that you are, um, sort of opposing to each other, uh, as you're suggesting. Um, uh, yeah. Um, Right. Admiral Malcontent was saying a similar thing. It's not that the Doomsman is wielding power, exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. Um, but. But again, back to that sentence. Because I, I want to I try to piece out the dread. Right. To kind of work through the dread that he's feeling here, because I think I think that that's easy. It would be easy to misunderstand that. Um, Mike, as you were saying before, I absolutely agree. In fact, I would insist um, on reading this passage that there's a huge difference between dread and fear. They are not the same. Is he afraid? Sure. I have no doubt he's afraid. Um, but the dread that he feels, I think, is different. Um, as if he was awaiting the pronouncement of some doom. Okay, I can't forbear. Here's a project, and this is a difficult project because it's going to be almost impossible to do with a simple text search. But here's a project. What are the patterns in how Tolkien uses the subjunctive voice? Or the subjunctive mood, rather? Because he doesn't use the subjunctive mood there. He doesn't say as if he were awaiting the pronouncement of some doom. He says as if he was awaiting 
indicative mood. The pronouncement of some do. And I can't figure out whether that's significant. And the reason, the primary reason I can't think whether or not that's significant is because I have noticed a few other times Tolkien not using the subjunctive when I might have expected him to use the subjunctive, in if clauses in particular. Um, so, um, further research is indicated on this point. Um, but given my non, um, uh, I, I mean, I have no, uh, I don't have anything like sufficient data here. Um, but, um, so Johannes, let me talk a little bit about what the difference is. So those two different moods of verbs, generally one uses in English the subjunctive mood in an if clause when you are stating uh, like a, a, a potential possibility or something contrary to fact, um, as if he were awaiting the pronouncement would be like, um, uh, yeah, okay, so... I think he's not using the subjunctive probably because so an if clause doesn't have to be contrary to fact. Um, uh, so here's the class. Here's the classic, right? Um, the classic subjunctive usage, or rather, the classic place where the subjunctive should be used but isn't, um, which <laughs> the, the the line of song, which has annoyed English majors for generations now. Um, and many of you surely know the song that I'm referring to, classic song of decades past, Simon and Garfunkel song, right? That does not use the subjunctive, the subjunctive mood where it absolutely screamingly should use the subjunctive mood. Um, uh, uh, of course, I am referring to Homeward Bound. Um, the chorus of Simon and Garfunkel's uh, Homeward Bound. Home, homeward bound, I wish I was. Homeward bound. No, I wish I were homeward bound. Wish clauses are the classic example of uh, using, of when you use the subjunctive mood. Um, I wish I were homeward bound. Because the whole premise of the song is that he's not homeward bound. That's what he's wishing for, but he isn't, right? You use the indicative mood to describe what is, right? Um, you, um, uh, you, you use the subjunctive to describe what you're wishing for, um, but which, and this is not the only way that you use the subjunctive mood, but it's one of the classic usages of the subjunctive mood. Um, so, uh, anyway, so it's possible that um, in using the indicative here, what Tolkien is doing is saying, a great dread fell on him as if he was awaiting the pronouncement of some doom. 
on account of he kind of was awaiting the pronouncement of some doom. That's not theoretical. That's not contrary to fact, right? Um, uh, that's um, that's 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 uh, that that is in fact it, it was like that, right? It was as if that because that is <laughs> sort of what it was, right? Um, that he's um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, there are other, um, um, uh, there are lots of other examples of subjunctive. I mean, I'm trying to think of other famous Tolkien quotes. Oh, yeah. Eowyn uses, uses the subjunctive um, in a different context. Um, yes. But she uses it in the present tense, um, which is even cooler. Um, why am I blanking on the first noun that she uses? Um, be ye... Um, uh, doesn't she use a subjunctive there? For be ye uh, uh, something... Or, or dark undead, I will slay you. I will smite you if you touch him. Um, the use of be there, that's the present subjunctive um, that she uses. But anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting totally lost in grammar now. Um, but um, the subjunctive mood, this is, it's a dying art, the subjunctive mood. But I am certainly convinced that it's an art with which Tolkien was very familiar. Um, ah, she doesn't actually use... The, right, if you be not deathless, right? Be gone if you be not deathless. I knew she used it in that sentence. For living or dark undead, which is, again, uh, parallel, the same construction. I will smite you. And then she switches to the indicative. I will smite you if you touch him. Yeah, be gone if ye be not deathless. Again, an if clause, right? Um, in the theoretical case that you be not deathless, uh, you should be gone. Um, yes, yes. Um, uh, does Feanor's Oath do that as well? Oaths sometimes do. Uh, I don't think so, though. Mm, no, I think it does. I think the verbs, the parallel verbs, uh, take or keep, I think those are in the subjunctive as well. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, sorry. Let's, um, not enough data here. Uh, but I just want to flag that. So uh, other grammar nerds, can join me in watching out for non-usages of the subjunctive in cases where the subjunctive might perhaps be suggested. Um, uh, yeah. Well, there we are. Trifle. Yep. Subjunctive all through the Oath of Feanor. Be he foe or friend, be he foul or clean, brood of Morgoth or Bright Vala. 
be he any of those things, blah, 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 um, shall defend him from Fanar, whoso hideth, or in hand taketh, finding, keepeth, or afar casteth, a silmaro. I think that those verbs that I was thinking were in the subjunctive are not, actually. Well, no, they probably are by extension. This swear we all, that's indicative, right? Um, switches back to the indicative present and then future. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, <laughs> JJ says, I look forward to hearing the results from those who understand grammar much better than I do. Um, all right, all right. Um, uh, well, we'll we'll come back to this. Maybe we can maybe we can all learn something more about, including me, about the use of the subjunctive by studying these patterns. So. Suffice to say, for the moment, he's not using the subjunctive mood here. He's using, he's using the indicative mood, um, as if he was awaiting the pronouncement. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, Trifle saying that that version was not from the published Silmarillion, but from the Annals of Amon. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was the verse version. Um, okay. Pulling my mind back from grammar. Dread. That's where I was. Dread. As if he was awaiting the pronouncement of some doom that he had long foreseen and vainly hoped might, after all, never be spoken. Notice. And Lotro players will not be surprised at this. Notice what is um, opposed to dread? Obviously. <laughs> Again, Lotro players know this. Hope. Hope. For those of you who don't play the Lord of the Rings online, it's the coolest game mechanic in all of the Lord of the Rings online uh, that there is an actual, there is a hope and dread mechanic where when you are in the presence like of the Nazgul or something, um, there, is a, there is a dread rating that increases, that reduces your strength and your spirit um, and cows your spirit in the presence of, of the dread. And there are other places when you are like in Lothlorien or Rivendell or the Shire uh, where your hope is high and that strengthens you. Um, so like uh, it's, it's, it is the coolest, um, most uh, sort of esoterically sensitive piece of game mechanic in any game I've ever seen. It's it's really really cool. Um, but um, uh, anyway, I was just wanting to see. I think uh, I think yeah. Now my hope is at zero. I feel neither hope nor dread right now here in Bree. But um, um, uh, but anyway, it's it's really neat. Um, but they are exactly right. Um, the 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 Lotro developers got it exactly right. Dread and hope are opposed to each other. A dread falls on him, right? And he had vainly hoped that the doom had not been long foreseen. But why is he feeling great dread? Because of the vanity of his hope, right? He had vainly hoped. It, he had hoped, but he had hoped in vain uh, that the doom might never be spoken, might never be pronounced, might never be enacted, right? But notice um, the exactly, JJ, that's just what I was about to say. That hope, the vain hope that it might never be spoken, um, 
is um, uh, is Amdir Hope, right? Not Estelle Hope. Um, he had been cherishing in a part of his heart, in a part of his mind, the sort of a, a, a shred of optimism that maybe it wouldn't come to that. Right? That maybe that wouldn't happen. Maybe things would work out better so that he could just stay with Bilbo and rest and not go on this hopeless journey there and not coming back again. Right? Um, but he's experiencing this dread. Right? This dread which is the opposite of that hope. Um is the dread that falls on him here a bad thing? I don't think it is. It's an anticipation of evil. Yeah, evil to come, right? The evil that shall befall him. Suffering and difficulty and self-sacrifice, right? Dread. Dread. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> I want to be a little bit cautious making this parallel because, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, reawaken anybody's thoughts towards the simplistic reading of the text. I've always resisted very strongly. Um, but I would, I would compare it to something like... Um, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane kind of dread, right? Um, that is what Jesus experiences on the night before his crucifixion um, in the gospel accounts. I hesitate because, of course, of the uh, the sort of old chestnut of, like, you know, the sort of Frodo is a Christ figure reading of the Lord of the Rings, uh, which I've always been very resistant to just because it's a it's not a very sensitive reading of the text. It's a kind of a, a grasping at a simple answer, which is not really a good reading. But um, but that parallel, I think, um, is uh, uh, something that seems apt. Um, exactly. Just like in the Inferno. Frodo can be parallel to Christ in some cases and not in others. That's exactly it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, no, Turnbar, exactly. But I'm not going to go into a long exposition of how, you know, Frodo is a Christ figure is a not very satisfying reading. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, or at least, certainly, as a single sentence reading, it's not very satisfying. Um, but anyway... That kind of dread, like that when you 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 know that bad times are coming, right? And you were hoping that they might not come, that you might not have to suffer in ways that you're pretty sure you're going to suffer and quite likely die. Um, a great dread has fallen on him, right? Um, as if he was awaiting the pronouncement of some doom that he had long foreseen and had hoped might, after all, never be spoken. Notice how in his imagination in that moment... The as if, the as if has him as the victim here, right? Like he's a prisoner, bef you know, in the dock 
waiting for the judge to pass sentence, right? And has been dreading the doom that was going to be spoken over him, right, by the judge. The prisoner has no agency in that. Not, not at that moment, right? Um, there is nothing, the prisoner is helpless to fend off the doom, right? Um, he is waiting for someone else to pronounce doom upon him, right? And that's the kind of dread that he seems to be having in that moment. Um, and I see, as I said before, the anticipation of that same kind of dread in the glances earlier on, right? Like, uh-oh, it's good. somebody's going to say it, right? They're going to say it should be me, right? Aren't they? I bet they are, right? They're all looking at me. Somebody's looking at me, right? Elrond, at least, is going to be looking right at me, you know, telling me non-verbally, pronouncing a non-verbal doom, right? Um, an overwhelming longing to rest and remain in, at peace by Bilbo's side in Rivendell filled all his heart. At last, with an effort... Right, and then, right, Mike, exactly. They're all pointedly not looking at me. Right, exactly. That's the immediate second thought, right? Um, at last, with an effort, he spoke and wondered to hear his own words as if some other will was using his small voice. Um, I will take the ring, though I do not know the way. Um... come back to the overwhelming longing Cook of Wooten Minor I'm not sure I don't agree with you but what do we make of that sentence with an effort he spoke he's waiting for the pronouncement of the doom and it doesn't come no one answered still no one spoke the doom is never spoken over him until he speaks. With an effort, he speaks. Except, Kurtzimus, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, hang on. Lysalinda, you're right. Let's go back to that for a second. The difference between fear and dread. Um, gosh. Can I explain it? I'm not sure I can. Hmm. Hmm. Not sure I can explain it. I feel it very clearly. Dread, um, hmm. there's more adrenaline in fear to our Marthen. I agree. I agree. Is dread a symptom of a synonym of fear? No, no, I don't think so. Um,
Emily says, I fear lightning or robbers or zombies. I dread having to go stay at someone else's house uh, when I'd rather be at home. Yes. Yes. Um, fear is a sensation. Well, dread can be a sensation too, but... Um, yeah, I agree, Dorward. Dread has loathing and anticipation. Yes. Yes. Um, Trifle says, I would say fear isn't if this thing happens, it will be terrible. Dread is will in the future. This thing will happen and it's terrible. Um, yes. Dread. Fear is, you fear, so uh, hang on, because fear isn't only something that might happen, right? I mean, there could like very definitely be a tiger like running at your face and you'd be afraid, right? So it's not an, like that fear is less certain than dread because if you, or, you know, um, uh, if, uh, um, if Emily saw a zombie right in front of her, she'd probably be afraid. Right. Um, right. Brickdale says, I dread doing my taxes. Yes. Yes. Cook of Wooden Miner says, I uh, fear is what makes you want to run away from the tiger. Dread is the certainty that you cannot escape the tiger. <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. Yes. Yes, I too have been thinking that fear is the mind killer, but I'm not sure that's very helpful. Um, yeah. Interesting. Rachel says, fear is fight or flight. Dread has given up on those. <laughs> yes. When you feel dread, you are, you are in neither fight nor flight mode. Um, there's a resignation to dread. Um, uh, that is the sound of inevitability, as uh, Hugo Weaving says in a different role. Um, yeah, yeah, that's. Um, I do think, Emmathorn. I do think that the 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 unescapability of I, it, I don't think that you really dread something that you believe you could escape, or that you believe you could avoid. Right? It's the vain. It's the vanity of his hope. Um, he knows that his hope is vain, right? Like he, deep down, he knows this. Frodo does, right? Um, and it's that knowledge. It's that knowledge. It's that vanity, which is why the dread is falling on him. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I agree that dread is always oriented towards the future, um, and I do agree, Ashley, that dread and fear can exist simultaneously. I, I think that that's true. Um, uh, 
I think that fear can be, you can fear something in the future. I think it's the certainty thing. I, I to me, that's what strikes most true. Um, you might worry or fear that you, um, you might worry or fear that you can't pay the rent next month, right? But that's different from the dread of the payment deadline approaching and, and you know there is no money and there isn't going to be money, right? That's dread. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, are we a fan of checking the dictionary? Meh, a little bit. I don't like... I'm not a huge fan of dictionaries. The reason I'm not a huge fan of dictionaries is that a definition in the dictionary is just what somebody else says and usually does not give any justification for. Um, I like the OED because the OED gives me instances, like usages, like shows me where they're getting these definitions, shows me the, the, the ways in which people have used this word over time that justifies that definition. Most dictionaries don't do this. They just say, like, here's what this means. Trust us. This is what we think this means. I'm not saying they're always wrong or that I'm always doubtful of them. I'm just saying in a case like this where I'm really trying to figure out what are the connotations, like what are the true differences between these words or concepts, I find dictionaries not often very helpful um, because they just make authoritative claims with which I disagree or agree or whatever. Um, uh yeah, yeah. Um, etymology uh, is sometimes helpful, but often not, because words wander pretty far from their original meanings. Um, so the fact that this word was originally derived from a word which meant this other thing um, doesn't necessarily have a lick to do with the modern usage. Uh, I mean, it's interesting, like it's fun uh, to know, and sometimes it's useful, Um but often not. Uh, it depends on how far back that usage goes. Another reason why the OED is useful and many other dictionaries are not, because it gives you dates on the time when, those, when the word was used in those different ways. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's why I'm generally not a huge fan of dictionaries for cases like this. Um, I agree that the flavor of emotion is very different, Arab Numenor. Um, uh, and I do agree. I think I agree, too, that dread is more psychological and mental um, and is not a thing that animals generally feel. Yes, I agree. I am not at all sure that animals feel dread in the same way. Fear? Yes. Anticipation? Yes. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, yeah, I think so. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. See, so, Valori, sometimes etymology is important where Tolkien is concerned. I agree. Just because he may well be thinking of the etymology, right? You know, and therefore, because he knows the etymology, associating it with this other thing. But even then, he, I mean... I don't think he often just plays like 
sort of random word association with etymology in that way. Like what he will do is deliberately dial a word back and use it in a sense that no human being has used it in, in you know, 400 years because he likes the weight of that old usage, right? Because he really is kind of turning back the clock on that particular word. Like that's, um, uh, that's something that he does. I mean, like when he uses forebode as a verb, right? That's not a thing that many people do. do. Um, and uh, I will still never forget when uh, my dis- my PhD dissertation reader told me I couldn't. Do- I used the word for the verb forebode uh, in my dissertation at one point uh, in uh, my discussion of conscience in Pierce Plowman. And um, I said that conscience foreboded this other thing. And he's like, you can't use the word forebode like that. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work as a verb. Um, and I'm like, oh, contraire, it sure does. Uh, but I didn't fight because, you know, it's much easier not to. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay, sorry. Um, Yes, Ashnaz, I agree. There's an existential temporal dimension to dread. Someone else used the word resignation before, which I think is the right way to think about it. Dread doesn't require certainty, but just the perception of certainty. Yes, yes. Um, I do believe that, again, what is the opposite of dread? Hope. And therefore, a close cousin of dread is despair. They're not the same thing. They're not identical. I wouldn't call them synonyms. Definitely. Um... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, but, but they're, they're first cousins. Dread and despair are first cousins, for sure, right? I do think that it requires, uh, that perception of certainty, Ashnaz, as you said. Um, yes, I agree. Fear does not have the same inevitability. Uh, if you, um, fear makes you want to run away. Um, a dread doesn't because there's there's no point in running. Um, okay, mad violinist. I'm working out the analogy. Um, so we've got an SAT analogy here. Uh, could we say hope is to dread as faith is to despair? Could we say Amdir is to dread as Estelle is to despair, mad violinist? I don't know, because despair, Gandalf, when Gandalf was defining despair, he seemed to be defining it in Amdir terms, I think. Like, if you see the end beyond all hope, all Amdir, right? Um, yeah. Um, right, dread is seeing the end without all doubt. Well, the end of whatever you're dreading, right? The end of your hope of avoiding that bad situation, whatever it is. Yes, yes. Um yeah, yeah. Um, so again, a close kin to despair. But I would say, thinking in Mad Violinist's directions here, um, Mad Violinist, the way I think that that analogy does work is that um, 
Yeah, Ashley, I love that. Ashley on 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 uh, uh, YouTube says, "Despair is dread winning." <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Despair is dread winning. Um, that's that's what dread winning looks like. Uh, is despair. So yeah, so uh, Mad Violinist, coming back to your to your point there, um, Estelle, faith, right is opposed to despair in the sense that um, despair isn't just for those who see the end that is the conclusion of this particular chain of events, but the, like the capital E end, right? Who believe that they see the way everything is trending, right? And it's downhill, like Denethor, right? Denethor is the classic illustration of despair. Um, uh, he not only thought that he saw the direction that things were headed for Minas Tirith in the battle that day. He thought he saw the direction things were trending for all of Middle-earth. Um, he s- thinks he sees the end. Um, uh, and thus despairs. Like a capital E end. Um, dread is more local than that. Right? Um, a great despair does not fall on Frodo. He is not without Estelle. Um, he is not taking up the ring in despair. He's not taking upon himself the ring with despair. He merely feels dread that this really unpleasant doom is not avoidable anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, exactly, Cook of Wooten Minor. Um, he says, I'm getting more and more comfortable with the inevitability distinction. One can face dread with the dignity of one who faces the end with no hope of success, save you catastrophe. Yes, and I think that we do see Frodo facing his dread. I can't avoid this. The doom is going to be pronounced. And then he pronounces it. Or does he? At last, with an effort, he spoke and wondered to hear his own words, as if some other will was using his small voice. Well, we're out of time. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um... I'm, I'm kidding, except I'm not. We are, in fact, out of time. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I am, uh, I am feeling a great, a great dread is falling on me that we are not going to be able to discuss that whole sentence. <laughs> the last two sentences on this slide are a doozy. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Captain Mo, I agree. We still have to go back to the sentence. I deliberately, uh, and, uh, uh, without apology skipped the sentence about Frodo longing to stay. Um, yeah. Oh, don't worry, Ambrosius Aurelianus. We don't have to complete two whole slides. Next week, we're going to do 
a slide and a half, I'm sure. Not even a half. Look, it's only just a couple sentences at the bottom of this one. Um, all I will do is say this. Because I don't want to... I'm not trying to dodge things. Um, I, I just vainly hoped that I might be able to avoid... No, I'm just kidding. Um, what we get looks like a paradox. Notice the juxtaposition there at the end of that first paragraph and Frodo's quote. As if some other Will was using his small voice. Darn it, he did it again! No subjunctive! As if some other Will was. Not as if some other Will were using his small voice. Twice in one paragraph! Anyway, sorry, that's not what I meant to say. What I meant to say is, as if some other Will is using his voice. But what does the other Will say in his voice? I will take the ring. The wills there, right? The other will and Frodo's will. There seems to be, um, there seems to be a paradox there. It seems to be an unashamed paradox there. I will take the ring. This is something, um, uh, Tom Hillman in his blog uh, was just just had a wonderful post on this uh, several weeks back, um, maybe a couple of months back now. I can't remember. Um, but he was talking about the importance of the use of the word will, um, how like shall is the more common future, uh, just simple future helping verb. Um, and that the word will tends to be used at times when it means will. When it means, like, I choose. I will take the ring. I choose to take the ring. Um, not just, I shall take the ring. Um, like, you know, I be taking the ring in the future tense, right? That That's not what he's saying. He's saying something more significant than the ring shall be taken in the future tense by me, right? Um, he is saying, I will take the ring. I am making an act of will. And yet, as if some other will is using his voice. He also feels like a puppet of another will. So, I want to acknowledge that, that there seems to be some kind of paradox there. And I don't want to forget somebody who was saying this. Somebody earlier was emphasizing the importance of the verb. Not just the I will, but the I will take the take the ring. Um, uh, we'll get there. We'll talk about that too. Um, but um, and then we'll go back to his overwhelming longing. Might as well make it explicit what I was talking to Cook of Wooten Minor about earlier on. The question about that sentence. 
Do we think it possible that the ring is influencing Frodo? I will say it even more firmly. If the ring... I will say it firmly and not in the subjunctive mood. If the ring is influencing Frodo, that sentence is my number one candidate for where it is. I disbelieve quite strongly that there is anywhere else in this paragraph that he is being influenced by the ring. I don't think the great dread is the influence of the ring. I don't. It might seem like an obvious candidate, but I don't. I don't. I don't think it is. I think that if he is being influenced by the ring in this moment, and I'm not saying he is, but I'm saying if he is, I think it's there. But maybe, maybe you don't think so. Maybe you don't think that he is at all. Maybe you think he is somewhere else, but I'm going to take some convincing of that. Um, so that's, um, yeah. Yeah. Now, Tim Doff, I'm not saying the other will using his small voice. See, again, I'm ready to, I'm ready to fight. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm ready to go to any lengths, right? I'm, I'm, I'll, 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 I'm ready for fisticuffs with anybody who's going to try to convince me that the other will using his small voice is the ring. No way, man. Zero percent chance. Uh, Zero percent chance. I don't care. (laughs) Go ahead and try to convince me. Uh, But I am uh, I am as confident about anything uh, in this passage or. Yeah, no way. Um, No way. I don't. I, I, I utterly, utterly disbelieve it. I would argue with Tolkien himself if Tolkien told me that that was the ring. Uh, I would, I would, I would fight with him. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> so, um, uh, but, but anyway, uh, um, I, again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to close discussion. I'm just telling you, uh, I'm going to take a lot of convincing. It's, it's possible. You guys have talked me around to some things before. Um, but, um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I am, I am, I am, I am ready to fight uh, over that. But, but again, so that, well, that's why I think. And again, I'm not saying, I'm not asserting that I think that the ring is influencing Frodo there. I'm only saying I think that if it is, that's that's the spot. Um, that's the spot. Um, but um, yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying I'd fist fight Tolkien over it, JJ. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that uh, um, uh, that uh, I would uh, I would be prepared to do, to, uh, to 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 arm wrestle him. I don't know. It doesn't quite seem fair. Um, maybe <laughs> a rap battle. <laughs> yeah. No. No. We would have a we would have a we would have an argument. Uh, you know, we would have a we, you know if we were if we fought over it, it would be uh, you know bringing uh, uh, you know bringing analysis of the text to bear and seeing whose analysis fits better. Um, but um, uh, anyway, anyway. Okay. Now, again, I'm not saying, I, I do not think that Tolkien do, does disagree with me there. Um, uh, but, but I'm saying that's how strongly I feel about this, uh, that I'd be ready uh, 
but anyhow, so we'll see. Um, okay. Like a rap battle would be more in case. <laughs> a rap battle, maybe, yeah, close. maybe more. Right, and then we'll move. Right, we'll move on to. Uh, yeah, may I don't know if we'll get to the elf friends of old next time, but we'll see. Look at this. Watch this. Oh, it's the end. Look at that. Oh, two slides and a fraction remaining. That's all we've got. Okay, but I'll let everybody go. Thanks, everybody. Uh, well, not everybody, but uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. It is field trip time. Um, uh, we'll come back to these things next time. I'll stop talking about not talking about these things and actually carry on not talking about them anymore. Um, so we will resolve all of this stuff uh, to everybody's uh, uh, excellent satisfaction next week. Um, and then go right on through Elrond's response. I'm going to be very interested to look at Elrond's response to Frodo um, in conjunction with Gandalf's response to Bilbo, right? I think that that parallel is going to be really interesting to see how Elrond responds uh, when we, uh, compared to how Gandalf responded earlier on. So, all right. Uh, but field trip time now. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. All right. So, Valori, how's it going? Oh God, doing all right, doing all right, and uh, yeah, this is it was kind of interesting. So, like, the question is: Is it the ring? Is it his destiny, or is it Hobbit bloody mindedness in there? And which is which is which? You know, like, there's, there's, I, 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 I it's not a simple situation. I think, um, but um, yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah. There's 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 a lot going on there. There's definitely a lot going on there. Um, okay, so we're headed to back up to uh, Thokvist, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Thokvist. All right. Back to Thokvist, and now we're going to go up into this new place that I've never been before. No, not hmm. Bree. I just totally hit the wrong. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I absolutely hit the wrong place. That's oh embarrassing. I, I I I hit the wrong milestone. I accidentally hit my prancing pony one instead of my Thawkfist one. So I just like <laughs> teleported myself up the street about you know a quarter of a mile. Hang on, I'll be there in a minute. Gonna have to get there the longer way around. Oops, that was silly. Yeah, wasn't that a good use of the milestone, JJ? I think that's just exactly how it was drawn up. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty good. Okay, I'm gonna pretend I didn't just notice a ruin outside the town of Bree that I've never seen before because I'm focused on getting to Thawkfist is what I'm focused on. Would be good for next week though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think it's anything new. I mean it's it's clearly an Arnorian tower. I just don't think I ever really noticed it before. It just really reinforces the sense, the really intriguing sense that, you know, Lotro has always given of the history of the Breland, right? And how, um, how, let's see, what's the name? Hold this. That was it. I'm going to try to oh, get up. Oh, oh, oh hang on. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to accept. Have a rally yeah, I think somebody's rallying me. That's very kind. I was gonna, I was gonna make it. I was gonna go to hold this and then take a, uh, take a, some quick travel up from there. So, oh man, how did you get Willem Whisker up on top of the fire like that? He's like floating on the heat, or standing on the smoke. Well, 
heat rises, so naturally the cat would. Right. It's pretty intense. Science. Science, right. Because science. Okay. All right. Excellent. Off we go. Up into the Mist Hallow. Which is interesting because there were lots of... I've been noticing, of course, the mists. uh, Nice, thick mists. um, Which are um, really attractive through here. I love the way that the mist is hovering about everywhere. But the hallow part of it uh, is the part I'm most curious about. Um, So I want to see what exactly... What hallow lies in the mist? Or what makes the mist hallowed? Or some other combination that I don't fully understand. But here's the... Maybe the men can't spell. Right. Here's the path not taken. And we've got some... Oh, taken by bats. Many, many bats. And we've got a a, a cat. Okay, so we've got mostly wildlife attacking us here. Bats and... oh, Oh, dear. I've got lots of cats lying in ambush here. Yeah, I think we're going to have to get down and shoot some of these guys. I think so. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that one almost did for me. Okay. Yeah, we get some healing over here or something. I think he did do for my okay. cat. Okay. All right. Um... Anyway, I was just about to look over this cliff when I was uh, so rudely ambushed. Ooh, hey, it's not <laughs> a cliff. I can go down here. Oh. Is there anything other than a uh, little overlook? Oh. Oh, no, I've completed the Beast Slayer deed, which is funny because I don't think I've actually killed any of them. Um, okay. Helped oh, by we've... association. Right. We've got a charming willow down by the shore. Mm-hmm. With some lily pads. Another one of those charming waterfalls with the mist up at the top. This is a lovely scenic view. Mm. All right, with the bridge over there. Yeah, the broken, restored dwarf bridge. Yeah, the yeah, broken and rest- the once and future dwarf bridge over there. And, okay. But other than a nice bucolic picnic spot down here, I don't think... There's much else that we can see down here. I don't see any evidence of uh, previous inhabitants. And we've still not seen anything up here other than wildlife, though the life has been substantially wild so far. Yeah, just a bit. And I want to remind you about the fact that we saw the same decorations on the bridges in Rohan. Right, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. That was interesting. I don't know what to make of it. Um, Do the horse lords forge their own metal? Well, other than the possibility that the wooden bridge over there is therefore possibly not a dwarf bridge, but but a human bridge, which is made in the same traditions as the Rohirrim. Okay. All right. So the path just goes this way. Probably yeah, it goes down to the the from. willow we saw from the. Oh, does it? Hill. It just circles yes. around. Looks like. I think this is a different willow. Uh oh. 
badger attack, and then a moose. Or maybe it's not a different willow. I didn't see a path over there. I think this is a different path. I yeah, I think it is. Yes, because this is coming up on the rocks that were dividing us from that area that we went down. That was over here. Oh, okay. Yeah. The boxed-in area, huh? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes, yes, I see it now. Yeah, yeah there's the island, that other willow. Right. An area of willows, truly. A plethora. <laughs> okay. I oh, tree bridge from the bottom that this tree looked like a tree we might possibly cross. Ooh, nice view. Okay. Yeah. Trees look gigantic from this distance. Okay. We are truly on the edge of Markwood. <laughs> yes. And approaching ever closer in this direction, which, and this is now a road. I guess it was always a path. Okay, so we've been. It's kind of a path. goat path. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not. I mean, there's no evidence of paving, and we see lots of um, roots, right? Like root systems through here. Like it's not. It was never a paved road. Yeah, this looks like it would really hurt to walk on. Like you'd get a pulled ankle in a minute. Well, did you see the eyes? Whoa! The eyes. Yeah, I did. Their eyes in the darkness before the things resolve themselves into. Whoa something or other. Oh, it just got really dark. It just got really dark. Whoa. So we've just entered... Is this does it go away if we go back? The mist halo? I think it does. I don't I know. It does. Let's see. I'm going to back back out of the misty dark dell where I can only see that because I can't see their eyes anymore from in here. Where okay, now it's coming back. You have to stand back here and then it comes back. Okay. Right, and then we approach again. Okay, there it see is. If can see if you can see those eyes this time. Full daylight. And there's the eyes floating around. Oh, yeah. Let's go on. 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 Oh, big oh, warrior, really guys. Cool. Hey, don't get too close. There's some big old... What are those Big old trolls. Taurog warriors? Taurog. Are they... Troll kind, so I don't they, think we can talk troll? to them. Wood troll. Yeah. Wood trolls? Mm hmm. Yeah, they're not friendly. Yeah, they move like wood trolls. Huh. Look at these huge mushrooms over here. Uh, these are human bones. Toadstools? These big Wait, piles. Human bones? Oh, oh, the piles are bones? Oh, man. Yeah. Holy cow. Nice homey place. Yeah, I didn't notice that. The, the trolls were a bit distracting, but once you get up close, you can kind of see. Yeah. Oh, look at all the little mushrooms standing up. Right, that's what I was oh, just looking at. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, like you thought these were giant mushrooms over here, and then like yeah, little no, mushrooms. The, right. No, no. They, I know I was looking at the little mushrooms before I was distracted by the little mushrooms. They're all over the place. I was distracted by the giant pile of human remains. Yeah, I overlooked that. Um, Typical scholar. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. And, and, and we got some sort of spotted Amanita fly agaric mushrooms here. They're none of them very healthy or nice. No, they don't look very nice. So this is in the end it's just a path into Merkwood? I guess. We're in Grajad Gopor, which is... Ooh, well, we're I still know. in Mist Hollow. Nice but I wonder thing. if it goes into Merkwood. This does not look wholesome in here. Oh, dear. It's the troll's unhealthy-looking home. It's rather insalubrious. Very insalubrious. The perfect word. Um, those... Uh, glowing oh. fungi look I know, very those much guys. like the Moria ones, don't they? Yeah, the ones that were infecting the orcs, making yes. them crazy. Yeah. I don't think they're quite the same. Mm. But they do put me in mind of them. They are Maybe. above ground instead of under it this time. Yeah, and it almost looks like the mushrooms themselves have a have growths, right? Have an infection. Yeah, um, well, Tumory looking things on them. It does connect to the southeast hologram. We can get through to Limlock from here. Whoa. Wow. Okay, so I thought that there were fires in here, but there aren't fires. There's just piles of bones and glowy. Uh, You're mushrooms. a wood troll. I don't think you'd want a fire. Right. Well, I was. It's not that I didn't think that's somewhat odd. <laughs> These are conveniently phosphorescent, uh, phosphorescing vegetation to provide light to adventurers. Huh. Oh, nope, that's a rip cage. This can't be the mist hollow in question, can it? I mean, this, though it might be a hot look at the tree, look at the, I mean, the trees with their gaping mouths, right? I mean, the trees themselves look carnivorous, not unlike some other unfriendly trees that we have known before. Yeah. And they have yeah. bones in their mouths. I recognize the type. Yeah, exactly. Except their mouths are gaping open. So this is the actual mist hologram? I mean, I, we haven't found anything else that would seem to give this place a name. Um, yeah, except for, uh, I have a thing on my compasses, Grazav uh, Oh yeah, right. No, yeah, that's the right. That's the the name of this particular like little zone. Morals. But, uh, I'm just I'm just kind of wondering, like I you know I'm wanting to discover why this place is called Mist Hollow, like the larger area. Hmm. Maybe it was once a sacred place, but it's since uh, been, been yeah you know. been corrupted or something. That's that's well, that's plausible. it's. Merkwood's kind of famous for being blighted right now. Right, right. Huh. This isn't the path we came from, is it? Nope. It's not. I have no way of knowing. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of... Now it says entering, entering the mist hollow. That's the thing. Green. This looks like, hmm. 
We didn't come this way before? No. Isn't this the road that we went up? Yeah, because oh. we saw that off in that side. Ambushed. So let's go this way. Oh, did you get ambushed? Yeah. Yeah. Having some bat issues. Yeah, I think this is hit, this is bringing us up to the north now, which is a little bit closer to where the deeper into where it says Mist Hollow on the map. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just another camp up here. Mm -hmm. More glowy mushrooms. Yeah. More glowing mushrooms. Hmm. And I've curved around again. Wanting to head north. Is there a way out of this little troll town to the north? I don't know that there is. No, we're getting those boxed-in canyon about. walls yeah. again. Yeah, that's what I'm fearing. A trap. Oh dear. Yeah, that's a cliff, huh? I think. Well, the cliff isn't necessarily a dead end. Right. I mean, we could avail ourselves of the convenient cliff, potentially. Well. So it looks like we have to go around. Greenstand, you dead? Uh-oh. No, I'm falling. I don't want oh. to find out that way. JJ says, don't go down there. Oh, okay. I believe JJ. Don't go down there? Don't go yep. down there. Why? What's down there? Oh, he says it's not convenient. Convenient. <laughs> Fly, you fools. <laughs> He says it's not convenient. I think uh, I think convenient is probably one of the few words that would have gotten the professor to say, "Okay, let's not." <laughs> okay, it's not convenient. Oh, well. it, it's not scary. It's not deadly. It's inconvenient, and therefore yeah. out of bounds. Therefore out of bounds. Yeah. Oh, hi everybody. As of not of common interest. Okay, so let's see. I think. No, I guess we have to... So there was nothing up here in the end other than some quite lovely willows and this little troll village. Wood troll yeah. village. Okay. Okay. So I guess we have to go past Thokvist in order to... So I'm wondering about, um, you know, the likely... I, now, oops... I just fell down the inconvenient cliff, I think. Well, you fell down a different part of the inconvenient cliff. Oh, I think this part was the was uh, the convenient part. I think it was, because I found the road again. Oh, that was super convenient. You're out of range. I'm out of range and being chased by a troll, but the good news is, I think I found the way out. Well, keep running his shield to a place forward. where only wild animals will kill me instead of trolls. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm in the daylight being chased by five or six other kinds of mobs. 
short fractures lead to long delays. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, that was, that was, is there even a goat chasing me now? That's kind of fun. Okay, anyway, so, so yeah, so I think we have to head back to the Thawkvist with half the forest in tow, but, um, man, that troll oh. is still after me. I know, it's, it's, it's not, that's guy. not a goat, that's still the troll. No, I saw a goat too, oh. but I think he might have been running from the troll who was running after me. Look, I can see the line of things chasing us all the way up around, I'm back down now. Anyway, no, it's that's like fine. a creep conga line. Yeah. Hey, all right, there we go. I boldly Ooh, escaped think, all of our, all of my foes. Oh, that's good. I think your kitty cat's still stuck chasing whatever's being chased. Oh, is it? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think I, I can resummon him now. There we go. Okay. Um, well, that was fun. Quite enjoyed that. Um, so, all right. Well, it was lovely up here anyway. Whoa, mm -hmm. there's a worm, a wood avonk. Avonk. Didn't see one of those before. It's a gator. Here. Yeah. So apparently this is Mist Hollow because all the, all the critters here say Mist Hollow this and Mist Hollow that. Yeah. I mean, it's the name of the overall region. I'm just trying to figure out why it's called that. Do you think it's this canyon over here with the waterfall that gave it its name? Maybe. Maybe it's a sacred spring under the waterfall. Maybe. Or just Gosh, there were very not useful. any of these avonk here before. The, um, the moose are rather nice, though. The badgers are not. But this place is lousy with avonk now. Huh. I wonder if someone just has finished a deed before we showed up. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Okay, hey, look, there's green stand. See, your quiff did take you down to where I was hoping to go. All right, I'm going to go hide next to Mr. Wargsbane. Maybe he can protect me from all the bats. Doubt that troll will follow me in here. Okay. Um, oh, that was a heck of a jog. Okay, so we can't, still can't find the way to where the Mist Hollow word is printed. Okay, because it looks like there's something there, but maybe not. Maybe that's just surrounded by mountains. Okay, well, that was an interesting dell, and we found some interesting creatures and uh, some lovely scenery, uh, but not much other than like that. Um, those mushrooms were rather alarming, but I assume it's supposed to be exactly. Um, Exactly the uh, kind of uh, you know to sort of bespeak the 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 creeping corruption, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of Burkwood, um, and a very di of, a, of a very different sort, um, which I think is meant to to evoke, um, meant to evoke uh, the that whole Moria experience, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, Okay. Well, next time, I think it's time. I think next time, I think next week is the day. Fromsburg. Fromsburg. Yeah. Fromsburg. Next time we go to Fromsburg. That's what it is. And All there right. doesn't seem to be, um, I see no uh, stable master at Fromsburg. So 
Uh, that makes mm-hmm. me suspect the worst. But um, now there there is one a little bit to the northeast that you'll be using. Right. Yeah. This dude up here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll uh, we'll head up there after Fromsburg, and then we got to go and figure out what these eagles are about over here. Um, <laughs> That's going to be my favorite place. If we can get up the river there, so we'll kind of we'll kind of go around uh, counterclockwise here. We'll go Wittershins about the uh, Wells of Langflood here, um, <laughs> and then we'll head up. I think to Elder Slade and then Arid Mithrin, maybe. Hmm. But um, anyway, cool. Yeah, and then we'll probably maybe after Fromsburg we can head up to Hiltzeld to give ourselves a new place. But I don't know. Thuckfist is fairly convenient for the whole rest of the area here but anyway no, fun exploring sorry oh, you're saying sorry. which yeah Blitzeld is the one you're going to want to use for Fromsburg because Fromsburg isn't just down by the tip of that peninsula it's all of that up by that road this whole, oh, good to this know. whole thing up here Okay. That whole little Manhattan thing is, is Fromsburg oh this whole business Manhattan. Here. Okay. yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I, knew, I knew just what you meant uh, right okay all right. All right. Cool. Uh, so right. we will, we will, oh, wow. Um, yeah. So we will, uh, we'll figure out, um, we'll probably head up then to that stable master and then uh, head into Fromsburg. Next time. Excellent. I'm so excited for uh, Fromsburg next time. Anyway, thank you, <clears throat> intrepid fellow explorers, and uh, we'll see you guys next week as we resolve paradoxes and uh, 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 discuss challenging passages. And then and choose our words carefully. And choose our words carefully, and then we shall get up to Fromsburg. So, all right. Thanks, everybody. I will see you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.